uh, as I said, uh, we're starting a new series this term. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, if you had been here maybe 18 years ago, uh, we did something very similar, but that counts out 90% of you. Uh, so, so it's new for you, uh, and uh, we've done it uh, a little bit differently. We've changed up a little bit. Uh, our gospel communities groups will kick back in this week, and I'll send you out uh, the new studies for that. It's in a pretty large booklet uh, on a PDF, you'll see, so probably just print out each uh, bit each week. Uh, but can I encourage you to read the intro to it, please, before the study this week. Uh, it'll give you a good chance to understand where it's going and the direction it's heading. Uh, it's a great series to be doing because uh, it gives us a chance to have the, the big picture and look at the whole story of the Bible and see how it all fits together. Uh, so to do that, we're actually going to look at Genesis chapter 1 and 2 today is where we're going to be starting. So uh, grab your Bibles. I really encourage you to open them up today because to try and read Genesis 1 to 2, that would be the end of the afternoon, morning for us. So we're just going to read Genesis chapter 1 and then we're going to uh, keep your Bibles open and we're going to work through it together. Genesis 1 and 2 are fantastic parts of the Bible uh, because they set the basis for the rest of it. So Genesis chapter 1, and it's really helpful because it's right at the front of the Bible. You don't have to flick through to find it. You just flick a couple of pages and there it is. It's there for you. It's very, uh, very good. So it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate the water from the water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let the ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and gathered the waters and called the sea, waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and the trees of the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. Let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth 
across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and moves about it in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the water and the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They'll be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how great it is to have your word in our hands. How great it is for us to be able to spend time to think through it, uh, Lord, to think about uh, your story and how we are part of that story, Lord. pray this morning that as we uh, look into this first part of Genesis, Father, you'll open our hearts and our eyes to see it afresh or to see it anew, Lord, and to be moved by it, Lord, to want to worship and praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, we're on our series called The Bible in 10. Uh, the theme of this is the true story of God, the world and us. And we're going to be seeing how we fit into that. I don't know whether you've ever thought about it before, but whether you've actually thought that the Bible is one story. Uh, that from the beginning to the end, it's a story and the story has a line that runs through all of it and God speaks through all of it and it's a story that speaks about the true nature of the world talks about the true nature of God and the true nature of us. But it's one story. It's a journey that takes us from the beginning through, from Genesis through to Revelation and it's a story that continues today. Uh, how many of you have done the trip of driven from Evans Head to Sydney? Yeah, yeah, there's a few of us that have done it. Uh, it's a big trip. That Google Maps says seven hours and something, it says, but I think that's wrong. Uh, and that's recent. Uh, years gone by, it took a lot longer than that, didn't it? Uh, we've got four children, as many of you know, and uh, as our children were growing up, we had to travel back to Sydney uh, at different times, and that is a long trip with children. And we didn't have phones and iPads 
uh, in our day. So we had to rely on old-fashioned things to be able to get us on that journey and take us down there. Uh, so we used to do lots of things. Uh, often we would wake up in the middle of the night. Uh, we'd grab the kids, we'd try and put them into the car so that you might get at least a couple of hours of them sleeping. If you got anywhere near coughs or port and they were still asleep, you're in front. Uh, that didn't happen very often. Uh, or we'd have to play games, or we'd have to play I Spy, or to play uh, car cricket. Uh, we had to do all those things to try and encourage our kids because most of the time they'd say, are we there yet? When are we going to get there, Dad? I've got to go to the toilet. You can't. We've just been to the toilet. You're going to go, Dad, I've got to go to the toilet. Well, here's a bottle. Fill that up. You've know, got to drive. We've got to get there. We had to do all these things, didn't we, just to get our kids down there. Because our kids really didn't care about the journey. They just really wanted to know about the end. Uh, they just wanted to get to the end of where they were. Uh, they didn't really understand what was happening in between. Uh, they didn't realise that, you know, there's Coffs Harbour and there's Maxville and Port Macquarie. All those landmarks on the way down, they didn't really get it, did they? They didn't really see that. They were just into getting there and working out who they could annoy the most in the back seat. That was pretty much their journey. Well, uh, Sometimes I think we think that's the way with the Bible too, don't we? Uh, we see there's bits and pieces to it. We don't really take much notice of it. We're not sure about how it fits together. Uh, we have the picture of maybe Noah and the ark at the beginning. Maybe we think of, uh, uh, sorry, Noah and the ark. And then we think of the great whale and swallowing uh, Jonah. And maybe we've got the picture of Jesus on the cross. Uh, there's all these little bits, but actually it's one whole story one story, it's one journey and as you travel from the beginning to the end you pick up how that journey comes along and different parts of that make sense when we get to look at it from the big picture uh, because the Bible is a big book isn't it uh, does anyone know how many books are in the Bible 66, how many in the Old Testament oh that many, quick count them 39, by the good work. So how many does that mean in the New Testament? 27. So within the one book of the Bible, there are 66 little books. But the phenomenal thing about this, which blows me away all the time, is there's one story from beginning to the end. You try and get 66 books that are written by different authors over thousands of years to still have that one coherent story. Think about that. It's mind-boggling in and of itself. Uh, but that's it. That's the whole bit. That's a whole lot of it, and uh, that's all there, but it's one story across the whole lot. Uh, but we're going to get the big picture. We're going to do the overview over this time. Uh, these days, I don't drive to Sydney very often if I can help it. I'll fly if I can. And when you fly over, it's great, isn't it? You can pick up those landmarks. You can see it as you go along. You see these different towns. I love it when you come back from Sydney and as you go over Evans, uh, often it goes over the top of Evans and you can spot it, you can see it, you can see how it's all laid out and you think how it all puts together and you can see it from up the bird's eye view. And so that's what we're going to be doing over this next 10 weeks as we work through this journey of this one story, we're going to see the bird's eye view and as we see the bird's eye view we're going to see how it fits together so that when you come back to read individual bits and individual passages you'll know how it fits in the whole lot. 
Because one of the biggest dangers in Christianity and outside of Christianity is people who dive into the Bible, pick out one bit and say, this is what it is. Be it good or bad, that's often the way that people outside who don't follow Jesus have a go at Christians. They put, go in, they rip one bit out and say, hey, how can you possibly believe this? That's very bad. <laughs> that's not very good literary work, is it? You wouldn't do that with any other book in the world, but people try to do that. Uh, but so what we're going to do is we're going to get the big picture so that when you go back into it yourselves, you've got to see how it fits together. So this one story, the big story, the whole story, uh, where do you start? The beginning. It's a good place to start, isn't it? In Genesis. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to have a look at Genesis 1 and 2 this week. Uh, next week we're going to have a look at Genesis 3. We're going to spend two weeks in just the first three chapters of the Bible because if we don't understand the first three chapters of the Bible, you will not get the story because that's where it begins. So what does it say? Uh, it's very good to start at the beginning, isn't it? Uh, because if we get and start somewhere else, uh, sometimes we think we could be on the wrong plane. I have a phobia about missing planes. Uh, I hate to miss planes and I'd hate to be on the wrong plane so I make sure I'm there on time even if I jump out of the car two kilometres before the Sydney airport and run to get there I have done that I've done that I've left my family in the car and I've run and I ended up with asthma and my family got there at the same time. <laughs> so I have a phobia about missing planes, all right? It's not good. It's good to make sure you're on the right plane so you're on the right journey. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to start on the first plane, Genesis. So we're on the right journey, so we're heading in the right direction. Don't miss it. So hang in with us uh, this morning as we look that, and hopefully we won't end up with asthma at the end. Uh, so in the beginning, what does it say? says in the beginning it's a good place to start isn't it the beginning of everything in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth in the first four words of this journey of this story we find out the main character the main character in this story is God in the first chapter God is mentioned 30 times the name God is mentioned 30 times. I think that means we need to take note of that, don't we? Because God is the main character of this. He's the central part of it. And so if we understand who God is, then we get to start to understand how the story comes together. And if he's the central character of the Bible, which tells us the true story of him, the world and us, then maybe he should be the central character in our lives as well. And what does he do? In the very first, the very first words he does, God created the heavens and the earth. God made it all. Out of nothing, God created everything. Uh, the terminology is ex nihilo, is the way they say it. Out of nothing. God created everything out of nothing. Before, there was nothing, but when he creates it, there's something. Evolution says that out of nothing created something, created everything. Nothing plus nothing. I don't know how evolution works, does it, in the end? There was nothing and then something, not something created everything. Whereas in the Bible it says 
God took nothing and created everything. He did it all. And the phenomenal thing is that God just speaks and it happens. He's a powerful God, this God, isn't he? God speaks and it happens. He God he created everything and all things. He's over the whole lot. Everything is his. And God speaks into it and God's part of it and God's involved in it. This is not a God that's separate from the world and just set it loose and let it go. This is a God that's intimately involved in it. It's God of everything, in everything, and he's involved in it and he's involved with us. We don't have a deity that somehow sits out there without being intimately involved. We have a deity that's in it and involved in it. That's the God we have. And a God who's powerful. And God said, he speaks. And what happens? There's light. And there was light. Let there be light and it happens. God is a powerful God, isn't he? He speaks and there it is. It's his word that creates. It's a powerful word, isn't it? It's a mighty word. God speaks and it happens. And it happens throughout, doesn't it? There's that thing. God speaks and it happens. God speaks and it happens. God speaks and it happens. All the way through Genesis. The very first chapter. There's a wonderful pattern of that. This powerful God only has to say it and it happens. If he's that powerful happens just that way and it happens through him speaking and his word God's the one that's done that then where is the best place for us to be is with him under his word listening to him because it's his word that creates life and sustains life and keeps life going he's an amazing God that is the way that we should be you see that's the way God creates it that's the way he sets it up it's his kingdom with his creation under his rule. That's the way he sets up creation to be. That's the way it should be. That's the way he intended it to be. That's the way he intends for us to live. His creation in his world under his rule. But there's another pattern too if you look as it goes through, doesn't it? Uh, God said, and it was so all the way through. And then he said, and God saw that it was good. Did you see that through it? Uh, so there's patterns in Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, it's a great part of the Bible. Uh, it's very poetic in that sense. It's setting it up, but it's setting up truths. The pattern that God is powerful, he speaks and it happens. The God who does that and it's good. What he made, what he created, this world is good. The light's good, the fish are good, the trees are good. The things, it's all good, doesn't he? He goes through it and he says it's all good. But then there's one spot where he says that it's very good. What happens just before he says it's very good? We're created, aren't we? God saw all that he made and it was very good. It's very good when he creates us. You see, the pinnacle of God's creation of him speaking into the world is you and I humans 
because there's something very special about us. You see, the whole of creation is great, it's good, but we're very good because we're created to be in a relationship with the Creator. We're created to be connected to Him and to be connected to each other. We are created to be in relationship with him and with each other. Now remember that because that is crucial to the story that we're going to be on this journey with. Created it and it was very good. He's created you and I to be in that special relationship where we sit under his rule in his good world living according to him and the word that he speaks and the rules that he gives and the way that he's created the world. We are God's pinnacle of creation. That means none of us are worthless. We're all worthy people in God's eyes. And that's crucial too. It's really crucial. We're going to see that in just a moment. Because you see, God made us, didn't he? He created us in his own image. The image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. That's that intertwining. The image of God that we have is the fact that we can be in relationship with each other. The Trinity is in relationship. God the Father, God the Son and God the Spirit are in relationship together and we're in relationship. That's the image that we represent is that we are people who can have that relationship and connection with each other. But also, he says, because he's put us to rule over them, doesn't he? He says to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. He's blessed us. He said, you have got a special role here on this earth. You are to be my under studies in a sense. I'm over the whole lot, but I'm putting you in charge of it on the ground. He's the CEO and we're the, the staff in one sense. We're to care for and look after and cultivate this beautiful world that he's given us. That means we don't rape and pillage it or destroy it. This is God's good creation. We're to care for it, he says. That's our role in this place. That's the way that we are to live here. That's what he wants us to do. God said to them, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God's the ultimate ruler. We rule under him. We don't rule in our own sense. We rule under him in this world that's around us, the way that we care for it and look after it. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it, that first chapter? This good creation created by this good God placed us in it, our pinnacle of, of that creation, to be in relationship with him, with each other, and to care for and rule over and look after this beautiful, good world that he's placed us in. Now, it doesn't look exactly like that today, does it? Things have changed. Now, I, I don't know whether you've ever had this feeling, but sometimes when I've flown to Sydney, I've flown back, and you do get that bird's eye view and you look over everything and you see all these things. I, I sometimes find myself pondering about the towns that are below me and thinking about, well, why on earth would anyone live there sometimes? 
Uh, and then I think about, oh, well, there's people there. And then you start thinking, well, what are what the lives are like for those people? You start thinking, how do they live in those towns? And you start to think about, well, yeah, I'm sure there's some joy and some great stuff that happens. Then you start thinking, but also there's probably grief, isn't there? And there's pain and there's brokenness and there's suicides. And when you start to look and you think about what's going on down beneath you, you start to realise that this world is broken, isn't it? There's both beauty and brokenness in this world. Those two things hang together, beauty and brokenness. And we feel that intensely and immensely within our lives. Individually we feel that and then we look at the world around us, we, that sense is there, isn't there? And that brokenness just grabs us and we think this isn't the way it should be and it's not the way it should be. And Genesis 3 is going to show us how that worked and how that came out. Uh, but there's a hint within this as well about how that looks and how that's going to happen and how that happened and how God is going to do and deal with that. And the very first, the very first four words of the Bible, it's in the beginning, God. And then at the end of chapter 2, after we get a bigger picture of God creating it, the last four words, they felt no shame. I don't know if we've ever picked that up before. Because when we go through the journey and when we look into Genesis chapter 3, we see that that changes. At the end of Genesis 2, there is no shame. At the end of Genesis 3, it's a very different story. And that gives us a little bit of a glimpse of what this big journey is about has a lot to do with shame and the removing of it. And it's got a lot to do with centering on the one person who can do that. This is what God said about Jesus in Matthew chapter 3 at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Remember what God said back in Genesis chapter 1? It was good. This is, this is the way it was, should be. And then in, Genesis, in Matthew chapter 3 verse 17... God speaks and he says a voice from heaven said this is my son whom I love with him I am well pleased it was very good you know, so it's broken but in this person Jesus I am well pleased again you see Jesus is at the core of this journey because he's the one that turns the journey on its head you see, in Jesus, he's the one that steps into the world and goes to the people who are seen to be most shamed and most shameful. Uh, he goes to Matthew, the guy who wrote this book, who was a tax collector. Uh, he was on the wrong side of the tracks. Uh, in Jewish, the tax collectors were worse than they are today. Could possibly be the case. Uh, tax collectors, they were despised. They were seen as actually rebelling against Israel. They'd turned their backs and gone to the Romans no one associated with them but Jesus does he not only associates them but someone who has all this shame of going against his country but yet just wanting to make money gives it all up and follows Jesus his shame is changed and we're going to see that as we go on this journey we're going to see how Jesus life, death and resurrection deals with our shame issue 
This lady is a name by a girl, lady by the name of Breen Brown, uh, B-R-E-N-E Brown. Uh, can I encourage you to look up this talk of hers? Uh, she's a psychologist, counsellor, social worker, uh, quite famous, and she's very famous on YouTube for her TEDx talks. If you've ever looked up those TEDx talks, they're actually quite interesting. Uh, but her TEDx talks that she's got uh, have millions upon millions upon millions of hits upon it. And there's one specifically of hers on shame and vulnerability. It is a fantastic talk and I encourage you to go home and look at it. After hearing today, go home and look at it and then see how this matches up. Uh, she uh, did this whole research project on trying to work out humanity. Uh, she grew up in a place where they, that if you couldn't test it and show it, then it wasn't real, then it didn't exist. Uh, she had that science background. She wanted to box everything and make everything fit exactly in these places like this. And so she wanted to try and work out how humanity worked, how life worked, how people related. And she ended up being actually going into a breakdown. Uh, she had a breakdown in the middle of all of it. Her counsellor told, her, told her that it was a spiritual awakening. She thought it was a breakdown. Uh, but as she worked out, she came to this conclusion about relationships in the world. She says, because everyone is hardwired for connection. Everyone wants to be connected. And the problem in the world is when those connections are broken and when we break those connections, then there's shame and then we don't go again and then we cover up and then it breaks down. And so she says shame and vulnerability are the two key parts of humanity. That when shame is broken, then we're not vulnerable. And when we're not vulnerable, we don't experience joy. We don't experience purpose. We don't experience meaning. We don't experience relationship because we cover up. And shame's the reason we do it. This is what she says. Shame is the most powerful master emotion. It's the fear that we're not good enough. Shame is the most powerful master emotion. It's the fear that we're not good enough. Let that sink in. Because that's what Genesis 2 is saying to us, isn't it? And when we get to Genesis 3, we're going to see how it makes even more sense. Now, I don't know whether this lady's a Christian specifically. And she definitely wasn't when she started this journey. But that's what she recognised. Because that's the world we live in, isn't it? That's you and I. What are our deepest, darkest desires within us is that we're not loved. That we're not connected. That we're not good enough. For anyone. That's what shame is. And then shame brings fear. And then fear takes over and we, uh, we're not vulnerable. We don't open up. We don't share. We don't let ourselves be known. You see, Adam and Eve, back in the garden, had no shame. They were completely vulnerable. And the picture of that the Bible gives is they were naked. They were completely willing to be in front of each other, in front of God, with nothing on. I think that's figurative too, not just clothes. The whole lot they were open to. 
Now, don't get me wrong, I'm happy you're wearing clothes. <laughs> we don't need to come with no clothes on, okay? But there's that picture, isn't it? That, that, that picture of being completely open. What a beautiful picture it is, isn't it? That's the Genesis 2 that we're in. So how do we get back to Genesis 2? Well, that's the journey that Genesis is on, that the Bible is on. That's what the true story of the God, the world and us is about. It's about returning to that place of no shame. It's about returning to that place where we can be open and vulnerable with each other and before God because we know we are 100% loved and worthy in God's eyes. And we know that that's the case because Jesus steps into that, doesn't he? He takes our shame and our guilt and our fear and he nails it to the cross. And remember, he's nailed it to the cross, guys. We're not to take it back. But that's what we want to keep doing, don't we? We want to keep taking it back. We don't think we're worthy. We don't think we're good enough. We don't think that God doesn't love us. People don't love us. So we get on Facebook and if we don't have enough likes, we feel bad for the day. Or we get on Instagram and people haven't shared it or we've put something out there and someone hasn't replied to it or we text somebody and they haven't responded back to us and suddenly it's all about us and we start to feel shame and guilt and fear that we're not loved and we're not cared for and it breaks us down. Well, the journey that we're on, and I hope that you want to journey with us, is the movement from knowing that in front of God, we don't need to fear shame. Then we're going to journey from knowing that that is the world that we're in and what we feel, but the journey that knows that Jesus is the answer to it, and that ultimately we want to be back at Genesis 2. That's the journey that we're on. That's what I want you to journey with us in that. I want you to see that as we do that together, as in that we grow together, is that we grow and show and go the love of Jesus as we become vulnerable to each other, vulnerable to those around us, that people can know us because we don't have to have that shame and fear because we are worthy and loved beyond belief in Jesus. And I want us to journey with that in our gospel communities too. Uh, Our gospel communities are places where they're imperfect, I know, and we want to cover up. We're not sure we should release that or reveal that because will we be loved by that or will they reject me for that or will they judge me for that or what will they do with that within that? Uh, But if we're on this journey, guys, of Jesus transforming us and changing us, then the place that we can feel that and experience that is in our gospel communities. When we gather together and share our lives with one another around God's word together, that we're not in judgment on each other, but we want to there to encourage each other to know that you're loved, that you're worthy. And you can live in this world without shame and fear, but in love. When we gather here on Sundays, we want to be a place that that's the case as well. And we want you to journey with us as we do this over the next 10 weeks. That's the theme that's going to be running through it because that's the theme that runs through the whole of the Bible. I don't know whether you've ever picked that before or ever thought that before. Maybe you just thought it's about sin and dealing with sin. Well, actually, it's deeper in one sense than that. It's a part of that. That's what it is. But sin is because we feel shame. And shame enters in Genesis 3 through sin. But we hear about shame before we hear about sin. That's interesting, isn't it?
because God wants to transform us, guys. God doesn't want to leave us in a shame, fearful life. He wants us to live in a vulnerable, open, come and know me, I want to love you life. All because Jesus has taken that shame for us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we... I come to you this morning, Lord, as uh, we look at Genesis 1 and uh, we've read it many times and there's some amazing stuff in it, Lord. But this morning I pray, Lord, that maybe we've been just challenged a little bit more and opened up to you, Lord, more in regards to uh, your amazing love for us, the pinnacle of your creation, that you want us, Lord, to live without shame, without fear in perfect relationship with you and each other and this creation of yours, this world of yours. And Lord, as we go on this journey, we're going to see how you unwrap that and open that up to us and that your answer is ultimately in Jesus. Lord, we ask that you'll open us up to this, specifically, Lord, in our own lives, in our own hearts. We pray your spirit will take that and do a mighty work within us, Lord, so that we won't be the same. That, Lord, more and more of your beauty will shine through in us and less and less of the brokenness. We pray this in Jesus' name.